Community Voice Podcast, episode number 41. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. I am super excited to bring you this episode of the Community Voice Podcast. I am bringing to you a conversation that I have just had with Chris Nelson. Chris Nelson has been a member of my Next Level Mastermind group from January 2018. He's still in the group today, 44 months later, over three and a half years, and our relationship goes back even before that. But you really get a good feel of our overall relationship and some other exciting things that are going on in Chris's life in the conversation. So there's not a whole lot of setups that's necessary in this episode, which is, I I love it. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Chris Nelson right here, right now. Chris Nelson, I'm excited to have you on the Community Voice, my friend. Thank you. It is great to be here, Cliff. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm looking here because I've done this for everyone. I just, I want to see Chris Nelson, you joined the Next Level Mastermind group in January 2018, yes. and you're still in the Mastermind group today, September 2021. You've been in the Mastermind group, the Next Level Mastermind group for 44 months, over three and a half years now. I'm just an old timer. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I am excited. You know, I love these community. By the way, have you? Not that I would be upset if you didn't listen to any of them, but have you listened to any episodes that I've done recently of the Community Voice? Uh, a couple of them, but not all of them. No. So you know that the idea here isn't that I'm here to interview you and and all that stuff. It's just to have a conversation and to demonstrate right. the kind of relationships I've been able to establish with people that have been ba- paid clients and. The, the the meaning of this podcast continues to morph as I decide as I discern what it can be, and what I love about where I'm seeing it now, the vision of this show is to demonstrate how your relationship with your con- you can have a deep, meaningful friendship and relationship with your paid clients. It doesn't just have to be transactions. Correct, and that's actually a better thing in the long run. Well, it, it, you know, I thought about that. I, I, because I, I, when I don't, the hesitation I have is because I don't, there are some businesses where the success financially of that business has really no bearance on whether or not there's a relationship beyond the transaction. And I just, I, there are some people who own businesses like that and they're able to have meaningful relationships in so many other ways, but relationships with their customer just not there and i don't think that a relationship focused business beyond the transaction is a better path it's just one that's more in alignment with maybe certainly with my values and i think probably yours as well which is why right and and that's why i said what i said because i do think there's value to having that deeper relationship as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, to me, there's, there's value to that. But I get the added value on a personal level by having those deeper relationships with my clients, with the people that I'm interacting with. Those are, they're other people at the end of the day. Yeah. It's not a transaction to your point. And that's not how I've built my businesses. Well, speaking about how you've built your businesses, I, this, is, this is fun because I love your story. Story, 
and not everybody knows your story. And when you and I first met, uh, you don't, you never came to podcasting it is easy. You came the first time you and I worked together was through the Next Level Workshop and the Day with Cliff program. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, the first time I, the first time I met you by definition was probably back in 2011, 2012, when I started listening to your podcast, that was how I got introduced to you. And I was a regular listener of your podcast from that point forward. I, I went you know, through the, the, the shift that you made from podcast answer man to cliff Ravens craft show and so forth. Uh, but yeah, the first time that we actually met was the, the online uh, workshops that you did several years ago. Or how to build an online business yes. workshop, which was an, just so for people to know, that was an in-person workshop where Chris traveled all the way to Northern Kentucky to sit here in the workshop studio in the Next Level Studio. Absolutely. All right. And at the time, you did not have your own business. No, I wanted one desperately, but I did not yet have one at that time. Tell me, what were you doing at the time? I was a day job junkie, I suppose is the technical term for it. Um, I was working as uh, a senior executive for uh, a financial institution, and uh, I, I liked what I did but it just wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. It wasn't part of my long-term dream. And so I was beginning to explore um, what that dream might look like if it could actually take root. And uh, hearing a chance to come in and learn from you on the uh, building an online business was a good next step for me. Uh, and so I uh, I wanted to take advantage of that and, uh, and and got a lot of value out of it and a chance to meet some other people who had like-minded ideas, which was, was awesome. Um, and so that was how I found myself getting to that point. Uh, it was, it was really, uh, the, I would say it's the beginning of my serious journey would be the way I guess I would put that, you know? What, did you have any ideas when you came to the next level workshop, like, or, before that, that that I'm going to create a business, I'm going to leave my day job in this financial institution. Uh, d- did you have a plan in place in your mind already? A plan, no. A dream, yes. The seeds had been planted for that dream probably around the time I started listening to you. So that was five, six years before. I had a, I had a dream but never, first of all, initially didn't give it a lot of thought because I just wasn't sure how realistic it was. That was a limiting belief on my part. But uh, because of that, it just kind of got back shelved. And so it was one of those things I'd, I'd take it off the shelf once in a while. I'd pick it up. I'd look at it. I'd move it around, play with it, and put it back on the shelf. And that was as far as it got. Uh, but what, and what it was, what it involved was, uh, taking some of the, the knowledge I had in my, in my day job and being able to kind of pay it forward and teach others in the industry that information. So it wasn't really a consulting type job. It was really more of a trainer, I guess would be the best way to put it. And so I had that dream and that desire to, um, to move in that direction. I just had no clarity. I had no clear idea on how to make it happen at that point. 
So you came to the Next Level Workshop, and I remember you were the one out of the group that got the coveted spot of spending an extra day here one-on-one with me. And I'll never forget, we it's like we developed a plan on a strategy for you to leave this place and go make your dream a reality. Right. And and what had what had changed at that point for me was that the the needs of the day job were starting to creep in more and more to the point that I wasn't going to be able to do anything that remotely resembled that dream. And so that dream was getting pushed further and further back on the shelf. Uh, And I wasn't comfortable with that. That was the first time I was like, wait a minute this might not ever really happen. And that was what really prompted me to kind of say, I need to do something. I have to take an action at this point. And so I remember I was talking with my wife uh, about coming out to the workshop and I said, you know, here's this workshop. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I said, and there's this opportunity to do this day after it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bigger price tag, but I said, I'm thinking about it. And my wife is, is someone that is probably more, well-grounded than I am. I think it's safe to say. And she looked right at me and she says, oh, you need to do that. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, she says, it's a perfect next step for you. She goes, go talk to someone who might be able to help you put a plan together. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So heading to Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) And so I love this. One of the things that came out, were, were you already, when we talked that day, were you already aware that your business or the, the, the employer at the time that we won't name, but are, were you aware that day? Because we've had so many conversations over the years, but were we aware that your employer forbid you to generate any income outside of your day job from any yes. side per two. So we, we were already aware that that had to be factored into the plan. Yeah. And that, and that was when I, when I said earlier that, you know, I was realizing the dream was getting pushed away. That was a piece of it. They, the, the expectations were such that I wasn't going to be able to do anything even remotely related to what the ultimate dream was going to be. And it wasn't that I was looking to set up a business and kind of do something. They weren't even allowing me to even do anything that could allow me to explore in some ways the dream in terms of the teaching and the training. Uh, And so, yeah, I was aware of that. And that's what really prompted me to, I had to at least start thinking about what this might look like. So, the one thing that I know is going to resonate with a lot of people because there are a lot of people out there, whether they know it or not, they signed these employee contract. They've got all these clauses that are in their agree- employment agreements. And it's, it's shocking how many people have signed off that says, I pretty, you pretty much own me as far as a money generating entity. You're the only person who's allowed to benefit financially from my life, (laughs) in essence. I know that sounds like I'm making it a little extreme, but in a way, that's what some some people say. Listen, you agree to not generate any income outside of your service to us as an employee. And it... Yeah, well, I was going to say, and the thing is, a lot of people think of the, the you know, the, the salaried job as the safe, risk-free route. And I'm here to tell you, my perspective is that, that it's exactly the opposite, that it is a riskier route versus what, I, what I'm doing now. Uh, and the reason for that is that I'm, 
if you're if you're in a if you own a business and you have multiple clients and one client leaves, yeah, that that hurts, but you can adjust, adapt, but everything else continues to move forward. If you are a salaried employee, if you think about it, you have one client. And if that client says bye, or that client says this is what you don't have a choice. So you've kind of put all your eggs in one basket. So I'd argue that's not necessarily the safe path, but a lot of people look at it that way. Yeah. So the one thing that you had going for you is that you had already, quote unquote, tasted the good life. <laughs> I had. So I had, I. You, you had this opportunity without knowing that it was, quote unquote, against your employment agreement. You were speaking and getting paid at, for uh, basically speaking and training and teaching in the industry slash field for which is your passion and your career that you've devoted yourself to. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, it was it was actually on two fronts. You know, I had started uh, because I just had an opportunity and I took advantage of it. Uh, I had started teaching and training others in the field um, through uh, conferences and through uh, different types of schools and, and, and programs and so forth. Uh, and it was like kind of a once or twice a year thing, but uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was the first time that I can honestly say that I felt alive coming off of something. I mean, you go and you pour yourself into something and you come away from it. More often than not, in some cases, you come away, you're tired, you're exhausted and so forth. I came away from this and it was like, I'm ready to go run a marathon, man. You know, um, I just, I felt so positive, so full of energy after pouring myself into several hours of training. And it was, it was awesome. And in addition to doing that, I also had several opportunities over the years to teach in an academic setting. I had a chance to work at, uh, at a local uh, university and do some teaching that way. And that wasn't as satisfying. Uh, I did notice that, but I enjoyed it. And I liked being able to give back. And so, you know, for me, getting these little tastes of things over a period of about 10 years um, helped me, helped shape me. And that was kind of the, those moments were kind of that equivalent I mentioned earlier of taking the dream off the shelf and holding it for a while and then putting it back on the shelf. Um, and so I had a chance to get a taste of what it could be like. And uh, I liked what I was tasting. Yeah. And then somewhere along the path, you became aware that what you were doing by generating this income is not congruent with your employment agreement. Right. And I guess to clarify something you mentioned earlier, and I mean, I know there are some, there are some folks who um, do have these agree, these hard ironclad agreements that they have to live within. I was fortunate in that this was not something that there was a contract that they could hold over my head, but the expectation was made very clear that because of my role and my increasing responsibilities, they really needed me to be focusing exclusively on what they needed me to do. And everything else for them, and I understand the point they were making, I didn't agree with it, was a distraction. And I think there were benefits to it but for them, but uh, that was how they approached it with me. Yeah. 
So you walk away with the plan after the Next Level Workshop and our one day together. We incorporated everything that, that you had experienced so far, some different possibilities. There was a, a plan B that was in place. There was a leap day that was set up. I mean, you, you were ready to go. And something else happened in your life. Well, true. But I will say, looking back now, part of me was ready to let go and make the change. The plans were starting to come into place. And the, uh, the idea was certainly starting to germinate. But mindset-wise, I don't know that I was completely on board and of course, by then, um, that was now we're at the point where I was part of the next level mastermind. And so I was sharing my concerns and my ideas with the rest of the group and so forth and was getting encouragement and support. I was kind of moving along slowly. And I had put a line in the sand that I said, okay, I'm thinking about going to, I'm going to make a jump. And I, I put that out there. And uh, then life decided to throw me a curveball, a big curveball. And basically, I uh, found out at that moment, this is before I had had made any final decisions, but I found out from my doctor that I had uh, an aggressive stage four cancer. And that knocked me back. I think it would knock anybody back. But uh, it was uh, it was a moment that for me, after the kind of the shock of it had worn off, uh, I I basically I I, I sat there for at least a, a short period of time and said, you know what, the dream is dead. I I got to deal with this, and I kind of took everything and just threw it all aside and was like, no, I guess this is that was it. I had my chance. This has now happened. I've got this diagnosis and I, I'm going to have to just focus on this. And I, you know, it, I, I missed my opportunity. That was where my mindset was at for about three days. And at that point, I uh, started to think more and more about the dream because these dreams, man, they don't like to let go. Nope. You know, <laughs> and I, um, so all of a sudden that uh, instead of me going to the shelf and saying, Hey, there's a dream over here. I, I have, I started to notice the dream was nudging me at that point. And I, I finally got to a place after a few days where I realized, you know, I have one opportunity to do this. I have, I have, I have one life. I don't want to live it with any regrets. And so I thought about it and it's like, you know, what, what would it look like if I decided to pursue this in light of what was laying in front of me already? I had a, I had a cancer diagnosis. I didn't know all the answers about what was going to happen in terms of treatments. I had a good idea, but I didn't know for sure. And uh, I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, well, I've, I've got, this day job I'm still trying to contend with. I've got a family I need to take care of as well as myself at this point. Uh, you know, I have a son in college at the time and there were just all these questions and doubts started to creep in. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Why would you think about doing that? And I just kind of kept coming back to, because 
I don't want to look back 10 years from now and go, I wonder what would have happened if I had done this. And so after a few days, I had kind of gotten back to the place where I thought, you know, this is something, I think this might be something worth pursuing. And so then I had to do the next scary thing in my life. I had to go talk to my wife about it. <laughs> because as I said, she's the more well-grounded of the two of us. And I was convinced that I was going to go say this to her and she was going to go, how are you going to do this? You cannot do this given what's going on. So I went to her and I said, listen, I've been thinking some more about this and I think I still want to pursue this, this dream. And she looked at me and she's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was like that, that moment and you hear the, you know, the, the whole thing with the record. It's like, what the heck? What? And she's like, listen, she said, you can go pursue this dream. She says, this dream takes everything that you are good at in your life and puts it under one roof. She goes, how could, how could I not support that concept? She said, or the other choice is you keep doing what you're doing and potentially it kills you. I was like, well, that was pretty black and white now, isn't it? So your wife knows the, you well. Oh, man. Yeah. Someday she wishes she probably didn't. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Chris, one of the things that I remember, and sometimes I know that even in my own journey, I can sometimes gloss over or, or selectively remember certain things or not. But one of the things I recall um, when you were on the fence back and forth, kind of like uh, before it was definitely like a done deal, was like, oh my gosh, I think this needs to be a done deal because... I'm really stressed out here at this day job. I mean, it's it's oh, it is an overwhelming burden to know that this is the rest of my life if I stay here. Kind of that. I don't think you use those kind of words, but that's kind of the feeling. It's like, man, I, I happen to I've learned a lot about cancer and disease, and I know how much of it is caused by stress and the cortisol and the just the damage of chemically of the negative emotion. And I'm dealing with a lot of those here. Uh, and so what your wife said, what Mary said was just so right. It's like, listen, you could try yeah. to stay there, but it's going to kill you is, is what she was seeing and what she was paying attention to. Right. And, and I think part of it for me was in that moment, you know, when, when you're, it's one of those things where when you, when you get a diagnosis like that, I mean, it just sucks all the oxygen and light out of the room. And so everything else is just not even in the picture. And so I was still coming away from that moment and, you know, hadn't fully gotten to the realization that I can still, number one, I can still beat this thing. And number two, I can, uh, I can still pursue these things. It's, you know, this is not the end of the world with this diagnosis. I just hadn't fully gotten there yet. And I think she was a few steps ahead of me in that moment. Our, our wives usually are. Yes, I know. <laughs> Those wise, wise women. Here's the one thing I, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking about, it's like, well, what did you do about insurance? Because I know that was a big question of yours. It was, um, you know, and I think again, it, when you, when you think about the costs associated with, with any sort of medical situation, but something along the lines of, of, of this type of situation, uh, the first thing you think of is how can I possibly afford the impact of what this is going to be. And again, I'm thinking in the moment, I'm not trying to think longer term, bigger picture. 
other scenarios. And that's, again, where being able to talk with people like you, with people in the mastermind, with other friends, and and starting to talk about it, um, you know, it gave me an opportunity to hear my reality from someone else's perspective. And that gave me a chance to step back and go, oh, hadn't thought of it that way before, you know? Um, but yeah, I basically, it was a case of, uh, and I think part of it came, I know part of it came from a conversation with you where, you know, we had talked about mutual friends that had, uh, health issues of their own and how they were entrepreneurs and they made a living doing it. And, you know, I think it was at one point you had said to me, they have insurance, so it's not like you can't get any, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, that, that forced me to go take a look at that situation and, uh, and begin exploring that. And I realized that, okay, this is doable. Um, the other thing that ended up happening, which again, you know, it's amazing how things kind of fall into place when you need them to, when I made the decision to, uh, finally let my employer know that I was stepping away because of my role. And I wanted to be responsible in my, in my departure, I gave them a very long leeway. And so because of that, it just so happened that a lot of the expenses associated with what happened to me were covered under my existing coverage anyway. So I wasn't really going to have to worry about it at that point. I wasn't completely sure that that was how it was going to play out, but that's what happened. And so again, things kind of fell into place. I was able to deal with, you know, oh, I've got to go find insurance. Well, let's go look at that. Okay. It's not the end of the world. And it just means, okay, I have to go figure out how to pay for this. Yeah. You know, it was just one more thing I had to tackle. One and, more one more challenge that had to be overcome. And I love in hindsight that that's just what it, it was just one more thing I needed to research. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's kind of like, oh yeah, and I needed to go get an EIN number. You know, it, it's really, I mean, right. it's, a, it's a slightly more complicated than getting an EIN number, but you know, it, it was just one more thing. It was just, well, let's just add this to the checklist. It's just one more line item on the expense sheet or actually health insurance would have been already been a line item on the expense sheet it's just probably right. uh, maybe a little bit more than what it might have been previously and i think what i think what affects people in those moments i know what affected me was when there's an unknown there's that part of your mind that turns that unknown into the number just gets bigger and bigger by the minute. It's like those, it's like those rolling tote boards that just sit there spinning, 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 spinning. And I just remember sitting there going, Oh my gosh, this is going to cost thousands, thousands. Oh my gosh, maybe millions of dollars. You know, it just, it starts getting bigger and bigger. And then you finally do the research like, Oh, that's the number. Okay. Yeah. It's a little big, but it's manageable. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I don't even believe I'm about ready to say this, but maybe it's a it's it's in this one scenario, it might have been a good thing that your imagine imagination went a little bit wild into how scary this might be financially, because then when you actually did find out, it wasn't so bad. Well, that's true. No, I won't deny that. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this is doable. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, Fun stuff. Well, obviously, how long have you been self-employed now? Uh, it will be tomorrow will be 18 months. Wow. Time flies, man. I know. I said that to my wife the other day. I said, it's been a year and a half. I said, I, it, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. But it's gone by. It's gone by. I mean, and again, a year and a half is not a long time. But man, it's gone by quickly. It's you been know, fun. 
They say that, uh, what is it? Gosh, I used to have all these statistics memorized, but it's the percentage of people like six out of 10, you know, whatever businesses die in the first year. And it's like only two, I think it's like 2% make it after 10 years or whatever. I, 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 I used to have those memorized because it was important for a sales pitch, but I, I don't work on sales pitches anymore. So I forgot the, the numbers, but it's, I know it's usually the third or fourth year before most businesses turn a profit. So the one thing that's exciting is that you actually have brought on some paid work. So what are some of the streams of income that you've seen in your self-employed lifestyle? Um, well, I, I initially began offering uh, consulting services along the lines of, of what I had originally envisioned uh, in, in working with other uh, with other financial institutions and helping them. Uh, and so that was kind of how I started. And it took some time. Um, like any business, it's going to take time to get it off the ground. The other thing too, that I should mention, uh, because this is not, uh, and, and this is not recommended, a recommended path for some people, um, is that I did not do the traditional slowly ramp up the business before I left my day job. Um, because of because I wanted to be fair to my employer, because I didn't, again, given the conversations I had had, I didn't want any potential conflict of interest to even be on the table. I made it clear to them that I wasn't going to do anything to begin really actively marketing the business until I had left the employment of my day job. And so I wasn't, I was laying some behind the scenes groundwork, business building type things, but I wasn't going out and putting my shingle out, talking to people, beginning to market my services until after I left the day job. I would not recommend that for people, um, <laughs> but it was what I, it was the path I felt I had to take. And so, um, so that meant that it, I had a little more of a, a ramping up period, but uh, I began offering the consulting. Uh, I also uh, continued, I started going back and doing some more of the teaching uh, that I was able to do. Uh, the interesting thing was that uh, I uh, stepped into this decision and I, uh, I left in March, when, when this is, we're recording in 2021 now, but I, re, I left in March of 2020 we had gone into effectively a national COVID lockdown two weeks before. Yep. So I, uh, I, I stepped into that as, you know, I said, I said to someone recently, I said, I did not have that on my bingo card. (laughs) So, (laughs) but that changed things and that, 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 that shifted kind of the approach I had to take, but, uh, I found some ways to do, uh, some of the training and some of the, uh, speaking engagements. Obviously I could do a lot of that virtually. So I did that, uh, began building that process, uh, began working with, uh, individuals on a mentoring basis, a coaching basis. Uh, so I'm doing consulting, advising, coaching. Uh, I'm in the process of building some online, uh, services and products, uh, that are more educational for people. And to me, it was important to have a business that had multiple revenue streams. Again, it's going back to that. I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. So if one thing slows down, I've got other places I can go to generate additional revenues. Plus the thing is with the, with the way I've structured the business, uh, by having these multiple revenue streams, um, they feed off of each other because I offer this service to a, to a potential client. And then all of a sudden, Oh, you do that too. Oh, great. And I'm able to just kind of expand the, the relationship. I expand the, the services I provide. 
Um, and that's been very rewarding too. Awesome. Well, now I'd like to shift our focus in the community voice conversation here to get into some things that I don't know about Chris yet, and therefore probably other people in the group and and listening in. There might even be some folks that had met you at Free the Dream that might be tuning into this episode. So tell me about radio broadcasting history. <laughs> that was my first day job. Um, I That my first career and a lot of people that are there, you know, in the banking world are surprised by this. Um, I spent just under 10 years working in radio. Uh, I was, I was on air for, uh, for almost 10 years. Uh, it was a decision I made, but frankly, back in high school, um, I, I loved when I was in high school, I loved, uh, performing and acting. I was member of the drama club in high school and I, I had fun doing that. I'd been doing that since I was a kid. And uh, there was a part of me at one point that thought, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do some form of acting. And then I thought about that and it's like, no, you know, going to try and get a job on Broadway and in the meantime, waiting on tables and eating cat food, that just wasn't a scenario that I, <laughs> I, could, I could live with. And it's like, eh, I don't know. But I ended up uh, starting to just explore you know, what I was going to do after I got out of high school. I was going to look at colleges. And uh, uh, I saw that this opportunity to get, you know, uh, a degree in communications. And I looked at it and it was all about, you know, back then it was, you know, broadcasting, a little bit of television and those kinds of things. I thought that looks interesting. And that, and I looked at it, it's a way to kind of perform, but with a steady paycheck. It's like, okay, that might be a good first step. So uh, I went to school for it and, uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, and uh, I realized that I wanted, I wasn't completely sure when I first started, if it was something I wanted to do. And this will be, this will be one of those interesting tidbits. Um, I actually, uh, we had a radio station at my college and I worked there and uh, it was run like a real radio station. I mean, people were playing music and there was news and all of that. And I remember walking in one morning and uh into the station before classes. And uh, it was a busy news morning for a reason that'll be apparent in just a second. And I, um, this was in the early eighties. And I, uh, I said, you know, how things going? And I'm like, yeah, it's just one of those regular days. And I said, I'm surprised you aren't busier with all the news that's going on. And the guy that was the news director for the station, he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I assume you'd be covering the, the major story today. And he goes, well, our, this was back in the days before computers where they had the teletype. And it would spit out the stories. He goes, no, the teletype's been down since early this morning. I said, oh, he goes, what's the major news story? I said, the president of Egypt was assassinated. Anwar Sadat had been assassinated. And he looked at me and he said, what? I said, yeah. He said, come with me. He sat me down at a desk. He said, I want you to give me every piece of information you already have. This was, again, no internet back then. Um, every piece of information you have, you're going to be on the air in about 10 minutes with an update. Wow. And I sat down and I just took everything I had heard that morning and regurgitated it onto paper. And I mean, again, they treated it like a real radio station. The news came up and they said, hey, we're going to go over. Uh, we have a special update on, on a breaking story, da, 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 da. And they threw it to me and I just started talking about what I did. And I came off of that moment and I was like, wow, that was cool. <laughs> and, uh, and at that moment, it's like, I know this is where I want to be. 
And so I just continued doing that. Um, I worked for a brief spell uh, for a radio station in the Boston area uh, behind the scenes um, at that time. Uh, and then I was in and out of, of radio stations and broadcasting for a bit. Uh, unfortunately, it's not necessarily a steady employment history on those kinds of jobs. Uh, and uh, I know you and I have have mutual acquaintance with uh, Ray Edwards, and I've heard him talk about the business. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm with your brother on that. And uh, But uh, I ended up ultimately helping to put a small radio station on the air uh, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, uh, probably 35 35 years ago uh, and so forth and got to bring that. It was my first time kind of helping to get a business off the ground. It wasn't my business, but I was right there with the senior owners helping to get it happening. And uh, so I got a taste of getting a business started and helping them with that and so forth. So that was, that was how I did my broadcasting gig for, uh, for that first 10 year span. So, so what genre, when you, when you had jobs where you were behind the microphone, what, what genre of a station was it? And were you music DJ or were you in news on those occasions as well? Most of it, I I never really wanted to be a news reporter. I mean, I could do it, but I wasn't something I wanted to do. Uh, so I was doing more the traditional on-air announcer, the, the DJ kind of thing. Um, and so uh, the station in Boston was what was then called adult contemporary, which is kind of that soft rock um, music. Uh, I did some of that. And then when I went, uh, the station on, on the Cape was uh, initially it was kind of a softer rock, but then they went to more of a top 40 format and I did that as well. So interesting. Very cool. All right. So you and Mary just celebrated an anniversary. How many years you've been married now? 32. And how did you and Mary meet? (laughs) That's an interesting story in and of itself. Um, We, um, I actually goes back to my radio broadcasting days when I was working. She for was the a radio long station. time listener, first time caller. She kind of was, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's even a bigger twist. Hold on a second. So I was working at the radio station on Cape Cod and they had a County fair down there. And so one of the things that they had asked uh, our radio station to do was, would, would we be willing to broadcast do a remote broadcast from the fairgrounds, telling people what's going on, inviting people down and that kind of thing. So I ended up being the announcer that went out there. And so I spent the week, I lived at the fair for a week, basically, which was pretty cool in and of itself. But, um, so I was working and I was in this large tent with a lot of different other places. And this radio station had a, an area booth kind of thing. And I was broadcasting from there. And there was this information area next to where I was working. And there was this, a young woman, young girl who was there and we get chatting and I talked with her and this was not my wife, uh, but this was this, this young girl, she, she was a nice person. And I, I had a great time chatting with her. So after the fair was done, this, this girl reached out and she says, listen, I would really love to come down and see the radio station, kind of see behind the scenes. Is that okay? I said, sure. Come on down. She goes, okay. So I'm going to bring my sister spoiler alert. And, uh, so the two of them came down and I met the two of them. And that was how I met my wife because her sister was, was, was my wife. Not at the time, but anyway, <laughs> uh, got to clarify that. But anyway, um, 
So they came down, they spent some time at the station and, uh, and that was, that was, they left and that was kind of the end of that. I mean, we met and it was, she was, she was nice. I, I liked her and enjoyed spending time with her. Uh, probably a week or so later, I get this little card in the mail addressed to me and it was from, uh, Mary and she basically said, you know, it was great. Thank you for giving us the opportunity for, for, you know, my sister to bring me down to see the station. I enjoyed that. It was a pleasure meeting you. And uh, she said, uh, just, you know, she's, I just wanted to give you an invitation. She says, I'm going to be heading back to college. And one of our family traditions is to do kind of a big barbecue before my brother and I go back to college. And we were, I was wondering if you'd be interested in, in attending. I'm like, sure. That sounded like fun. So I went there and uh, spent time you know, with, with her, her family and so forth. Um, what I found out afterward, and that was the beginning of our, we dated and, and so forth. But what I found out afterward was that this was the first official barbecue <laughs> of their tradition. Um, number one. Number two, I found out that her sister helped her to write the note to me because she was nervous about writing to me. So Anyway, I didn't find that out until well afterward, but, uh, but, uh, that was how I met my wife and, uh, we, we dated for a few months. Uh, and then I decided that I decided it needed to get more serious. And so that was how, that was how we kind of moved to that next level. And, uh, uh, I actually, I'm trying to think I proposed to her. We, we met in August and I think I proposed to her in January or February. Wow. Very cool. That's fun. All right. Some other random questions. Uh, Do you play any musical instruments? I can. I haven't in a very long time. Uh, I can play piano, keyboard, that kind of thing. Um, I took piano lessons when I was younger, um, but I learned how to play piano. Uh, I learned how to play. I probably couldn't do it to save my life now. I used to know how to play uh, kind of like a pipe organ. I learned how to do that. Um, you know, but yeah, I used to, I, and I, I could still probably, you know, goof around with a keyboard. I don't know that I could play well, but it's, it's once you, once you learn, it's kind of in there. So that's cool. Let's see another random question. Uh, well, I've asked this one. A lot of people, did you play any sports when you were a kid? I did not. It wasn't something that, that I really had an interest in. Um, I photographed a lot of sports, but I did cause I actually did photography when I was in high school and, uh, the, uh, they asked me to come and photograph some of the school games and things like that. So I, I, I photographed a lot of sports, but I didn't, I didn't participate. It wasn't just, wasn't something I was interested in. So you were into photography. Now I'm envisioning you after you've gone out and shot a couple of photos and stuff like that. Were you in one of those dark room rooms with the red lights, uh, developing your film? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I I spent a lot of time uh, in the dark room, um, you know, developing out. And these most of it was black and white photos back then, but developing the film. Uh, and then uh, doing the prints, going through the whole process. You see, uh, sometimes you'll see it on, on in a movie or on television or something. And they go through the different trays of chemicals, the developer and the stop bath and the and the fixer and and then the rinsing. And oh yeah, did that hanging up pictures on the on the clothesline type thing to dry them. And oh yeah, that that's one thing that you know I'm starting to feel. 
like that old man where it's like our kids will never know what life was like when you had <laughs> but but photography is one of those things it's like listen this stuff you you get a roll of film you get 12 or 24 maybe 36 shots you have no idea at all what that thing looks like until you get back. <laughs> yeah, it was not one of those, oh, that didn't come out. Let me take another one. You took a lot just in case, but no, you didn't know until you had them developed and then and then you were able to look at them. And then, then again, with the camera, you know, and I was using a, a, a regular 35 millimeter camera. There's a lot of different moving parts. It's not just one of those, it wasn't just one of those, you know, instant, point and shoot type things. There's a lot of different things. You've got to get your lighting set right. You've got to get your lens set right and your F-stops and your shutter speeds and all of that. You mess that up and yeah, you've blown the shot. Yeah. What was your first computer? I had a Radio Shack TRS-80 with a whopping 4K of memory. That is so cool. <laughs> and you had to load the programs with a cassette player. I, I remember that clearly and yep. thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> yep. I My first one was a Commodore VIC-20 computer, mm-hmm. and it also had the cassette player that you could save and load programs. And we had TRS-80s. We call them trash-80s. But TRS-80s at school, I went to a Catholic school, and so we had a, an entire classroom that had nothing but like like keyboard uh, TRS-80s everywhere and at every d- table. And so I, I yeah. learned way back in the day how to program BASIC, which was a lot of fun. Right. Well, I was going to say that was back before, I mean, Windows didn't even exist when I had this TRS-80. It was, it was all basic. Um, if you wanted to learn other languages, you could learn Fortran or COBOL. Those were, the, I think, the other two big languages. But uh, basic was what most people would learn. And uh, yeah, it was, I look back now and my dad actually repaired computers. Uh, that was his job when I was growing up. And uh, I can remember going to the times I'd go to work with him once in a while and we'd go into these big computer rooms, with these rooms just full of disk drives and so forth. And he and I talked uh, a number of years later and uh, I, re- I remember saying to him at one point, I think we were celebrating like a birthday and I picked up this birthday card. It was one of the ones that played music when you opened it up. I said, do you realize there's probably more computing power in this card than that room that you used to work in? He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> It is it is pretty wild how much has changed. And if anybody ever questions miracles, I mean, we live miracles every single day with what we're able to do with technology. Yeah. I, it, it just blows my mind. I know. What, what, what is the slowest baud modem you ever remember using to dial up into another computer system? Oh, man. I don't remember what the speed was. Is freaking slow a good answer? That- <laughs> yeah. My my first modem, my mom and dad, my it was my grandfather's insurance agency at the time. Yep. And they had a 300 baud IBM modem. And it was one where it had uh, the thing that matched up with the AT&T handset for the rotary telephone. And... <laughs> It, it was like you place oh, wow. that thing down on that rubber mount and and it go, went to town. But yeah, 300 baud modem was my first. 
I was going to say, I, I don't, I did not have one of those. I remember seeing those types of modems where you had to put the phone into it. I, I do remember those, but we had just more of a traditional one. And I mean, with the first computer I had, it didn't have, we didn't, we didn't have a modem. So we weren't, I wasn't even able to do that, but um, I'm guessing the speed had to have been, it might've been slightly slower than the 300, but it might've been, it would have been, it might've even been a 300 baud. Now yeah. that you mentioned yeah. it. Did you ever do BBS systems? Never really got into that. I didn't start really getting into the the bulletin boards probably until AOL came around. And then, of course, they were everywhere at yeah. that point. But uh, I was aware of them, but it wasn't something that I was really going after. I know you've done a lot of that. But. Oh, yeah. Those were the good old days, man. <laughs> the Wild West. The Wild West. I used, as a matter of fact, I used to log into bulletin board systems and we would share research with one another of all the other places, all of the top secret computers of the CIA, FBI, and every other federal agency uh, that you could dial into uh, using a bus. Because that's a safe idea. <laughs> we, we did some fun stuff back in the day. Ah, oh, goodness. Yeah. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wild stuff. Well, Chris, um, let's see here. I, I know that I want to be protective of your time. we got about 12 minutes before we're going to wrap up. What are some of your plans? What do you, what do you see over the next three to five years? What's, what's in the future for you? Um, well, for me right now, it's uh, focusing on building this business. Businesses, I have what I do is through two different businesses, but uh, continuing to build those, that's a big part of it. Uh, helping my wife build her business. We're actually building three businesses simultaneously right now. So that's a world of crazy at times, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, so that's that's been a focal point for both of us. We're both pursuing our dreams and and doing it through through our own through our own businesses. Um, my son just graduated college. And he's following his dream. He wanted to be a teacher, and that's what he's doing now. And uh, you know, I want to be able to uh, get these businesses to a point where uh, they're generating the income that I need just to maintain things I need, but also be able to have that freedom and that flexibility that if we decide we want to go visit one of our two kids, uh, we can go do it. Or if we want to do a little bit of traveling, we can go do it. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's not really complicated. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. Not complicated is a goal in life, I think. That's right. Exactly. Sweet. Well, one of the things that I do with the community voice, it allows me to have everything set up and ready to go to record a possible testimonial that I might be able to include in other places. If you'd be agreeable, I'd love to ask you. Hold on. I'm putting a little marker on my thing so I know where it begins. If somebody were thinking about joining something like a next level mastermind and they were kind of up in the air about that decision, they've been thinking about it for a while. As somebody who has been in the mastermind group for well over three and a half years now, what would you say to somebody about that? The short answer would be don't wait because the value that the group brings to the table in a mastermind situation is so, so valuable on a number of levels because it, one, it gives you a group of people who understand a lot of what you're going through and can bring their own perspectives and ideas to the table. 
And it's great having that outside perspective. I know I heard someone else, I think on one of the other episodes, talk about the whole inside the bottle. And I totally agree with that analogy. You know, you're sitting inside the bottle, you can't see what's on the label outside and having someone say, hey, by the way, and pointing something out to you, that's happened to me a number of times. And I think that's great. The other thing too, that's great about the mastermind is it's not just about business. It's about doing life together. Going through what I just described in our conversation today, my challenges weren't necessarily just business related. I had life issues that were going on. And I can tell you that being able to come and be open and honest and talk about my concerns and let people know what's going on and knowing that I had a group of people that would listen and encourage and support me no matter what just takes a burden off your shoulders. The other thing that I think is valuable is that I got to a point in my own path, my own journey, that I felt like, you know, nobody could understand what I was going through. And I didn't have anyone around that I could talk to, people I knew locally, people in my life that I could chat with. And knowing that I had a group of people that I could reach out to that that understood the world that I was thinking about participating in, that just took, again, pressure off knowing I had people I could chat with. I think that the value of that is major. If you're looking for a group of people that can help you move ahead, you know, even help you get out of your own way, because I've had that issue before, then something like a mastermind group is certainly a very good next step. Final thoughts, anything you want to share? Um, where's your favorite social media platform where people can connect with you if they've lost touch with you in any uh, over the time since maybe they've left the next level mastermind because being in the mastermind for three and a half years you've seen a lot of people come and go because <laughs> the commitment for for those who are who are not familiar the next level mastermind you make a commitment to a minimum of one year and being that chris has been in there for three and a half years there's been a lot of people who have made that one year commitment stayed many have stayed in well over that but a lot of people have come and gone. And so some of them may be listening to this episode. It's like, man, I should touch base with Chris. It was great to hear a little bit more of his story. Where, sure. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, it's probably probably through Facebook at this point. You can look me up on Facebook. And what? What? Did you just say Facebook? Yes, I did. I, I, I didn't know Chris was on Facebook. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, right. I know you're building your LinkedIn profile. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, and that's but fr- frankly, the the material that I'm putting out there, I don't know how much people in general would be interested in that. But I am on LinkedIn. Um, that's where the business is getting built. But if someone is trying to reach out to me more at a personal level, definitely, definitely the Facebook. The so, Facebook. I love the it. Facebook. The Facebook. <laughs> Chris, I appreciate you so much. I love doing life with you. Your journey has been an encouragement to me. It is such a great uh, case study for so many people who have excuses about the obstacles that stand in their way. And I could say, but yeah, I know this guy. And, and I love, I love telling your story, even though I don't always tell people your name when I tell your story. Uh, but all oh, also for the record, there are, believe it or not, Chris, you, you might find this hard to believe, but there are a handful of people who listen to the community voice, who listen to these episodes, even if they've never been in relationship with some of the people that I'm interviewing. But for those that don't know this, 
my car, my dream car that sits in my garage, my 1974 classic Volkswagen Beetle, is actually in my garage because of you. Yes, that was my fault. (laughs) 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 And no, I did not sell him the car. (laughs) But you and I went out, so you were here for your day with Cliff after the Next Level Workshop. We went out to lunch. Did we go to Montgomery and Ribs? Is that where we went? No, we went to Chipotle. Did we go to, how did you let me cheat you out and get you a cheap Chipotle lunch? I don't, I, I'm trying to remember. We, we were looking elsewhere. I don't know if that, the place wasn't open or. That's what happened. We went there, yes. but it was closed. It was closed. Yeah. Yeah. And matter of fact, it's actually even like. Yeah, you led me on about this big, this big, nice meal, man. It was I know. Gone. That's crazy. <laughs> that, that, that just came back to me. I remember, I was like, I was ready to buy this guy some ribs. I was going to get you a full slab. And uh, don't, don't rub it in. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you, come, you come back in town, Chris. I'll go off keto for a day, and, and which will turn well, into I a do, week. Well, I do mostly. I do keto-like, so we could probably still do pretty well. But I don't know, man. They, they, yeah anyway montgomery and ribs i'm gonna buy you some ribs one of these days okay that's a deal so but i think my wife didn't need the car that day and i said it's a good thing and i was kind of joking that we'd if stephanie needed to go somewhere today we'd have to uber to lunch and you said i and i i said you know i don't have a car i'm not a car guy and you said what you know i don't i don't you don't have a dream car and right then, and so i i told you that the dream car that i had was you know, maybe a Tesla, but I just don't see that as being all that prudent for as much as I would drive it. And I guess maybe if I had a dream car, it's kind of impractical, but it, a 1970s, early 70s classic Volkswagen Beetle, uh, just in drivable condition. And then I That's get right. a package in the mail. What, 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 was your, what was going through your mind when you came home and you, you did that? I, I just, I wanted to thank you for your time because the, the, the mo- that having that time together, um, you know, I didn't realize at the time that we were starting to cement a, a lot, much longer bond that we were, but I just wanted to thank you and be, you know, grateful to you for, for your help in getting my, my journey underway. And for some reason, when you brought up the car, it just stuck in my head. Really? And it's like, I just decided, it's like, I wanted, I want to do something. And, you know, I was, I wanted to do more than a quick email. Hey, thanks for the time or send you a card. And it's like, what could I do? And it's like, it's like the car, the car. It's like, well, I can't send him a, I can't send him a Volkswagen Beetle. And then it's like, well, yeah, maybe I can. So I went to that, that uh, huge retail mall in the sky, Amazon. And I took a look and started to find out that, oh my gosh, you could get these little nice metal cars, you know, and I said, Oh, that's interesting. So I put in, I think I typed in 1973 or 74 Volkswagen Beetle. Boom. There it is. And I looked at it. It's like, that's what I have to do. So I bought the car and I sent it. Yeah, here's something I want you to know that, and, and, and just for the record, this is, it might be a valuable tip for anybody listening I, I'm very blessed to receive a lot of gifts. And one of the things that you did is you actually found this on Amazon. You shipped it to yourself mm-hmm. and then you opened it up and then you put it in your own packaging. You put a handwritten card in with the gift and then sent it to me. And 
I highly recommend this for anyone if you're ever sending somebody a gift. Rather than going to Amazon and shipping it straight to them with the little says the little thing that says this is a gift because half the time I can't figure out who the heck sent me this gift. I'm not right. kidding you. I, I'm looking inside of the box. It's like, this is beautiful. I love this. Who the heck sent it to me? And it's usually a week and a half, 10, 20 days later, somebody says, hey, just checking in. Did you ever receive anything in the mail? And I'm like, do you mean, and I'll insert name of gift, yeah. And I said, was that you that sent that? Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I had no idea who sent it to me. And sometimes it's it's somewhere obscure on a label or something like that. But uh, if you're ever sending somebody a gift, ha- ship it to yourself and yes. and do it that way. But anyway, that, that little car still sits here on my desk, Chris, and I, I talk about it all the time. And, and it, it, was, it was a wonderful additional example of the law of attraction and what you focus on will what you tend to consistently focus on will ultimately end up manifesting into your life little did i know when i sent that what was going to happen but (laughs) look at look at there and and if I, i don't know if i will have time to go get a car battery tonight but if i do Aaron Crawley from the Next Level Mastermind is going to be here tomorrow. I might be able to take him for a drive in it. I need to go get a new battery, though. Oh, you have to do that, man. I, I, I'll, I'll see if I can pull it off. It. I'll see if I can pull it off tonight. All right, Chris, thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate you.